That's uh, Dave Beam from our church. He's a good coach and uh, a great takeaway. I hadn't thought about the hiding behind the grain elevator thing. I <laughs> ran cross country and I wish I'd have thought about that. But uh, anyway, um, just good stuff there. Good coaching, uh, his attitude, the encouragement. That's the takeaway that I took about how do we coach people. Uh, we coach with a positive, encouraging attitude. And then um, uh, showing that there's a right form, and then there's a, a right way to do the form, and the actual modeling of that, as the video showed. And, uh, and, and then, what was it he said? You know, in the end, the preparation, it shows up on race day, right? It shows up on race day. So, uh, good... Uh, a good, good coaching and good leadership counsel, uh, especially when some of the student athletes, as Dave said, resist the leadership, resist the coaching. And I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that in, in the leadership that you've extended to have to deal with those who resist your leadership. Well, that's where we are today as we consider uh, Paul's second letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn there, 2 Timothy chapter 2, and I want us to uh, look at, uh, beginning in verse 14, you'll find that on page 842 of your church Bibles, Um, and we're going to read through chapter 3, verse 9. The flow of thought uh, continues uh, quite a few verses here. You need to understand when Paul first wrote these, uh, this letter to Timothy, he didn't have the chapter and verse divisions. So we're not going to just stop at the end of chapter 2. We're going to stop at the, where the, where the uh, flow of thought ends, which will be in chapter 3, verse 9. So take your Bibles, if you would, uh, beginning in 2 Timothy chapter verse 14. If you don't have a copy of God's Word to call your own, take the navy blue Bibles that are in the pouch in front of you. Put your name on it and take it home as a gift from this church family. And I'm going to start reading at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14. Keep reminding them of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will, become, will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus who have wandered away from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place, and they destroy the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription, the Lord knows those who are his. And everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for noble purposes and some for ignoble. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, he will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct 
in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power have nothing to do with them. They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over weak-willed women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to acknowledge the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses. Let me just stop there and tell you who Janus and Jambres were. Um, well, these are the names traditionally given to Pharaoh's sorcerers in Exodus chapter 7 who were for a limited amount of time able to uh, mimic the miracles that Moses performed before Pharaoh, all right? Uh, you will not find those names in Exodus chapter 7, but in the first century, in uh, the Apostle Paul's day, these were the traditionally given names of those sorcerers. So um, that's why they're named there. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these men opposed the truth, men of depraved minds, who as far as the faith is concerned are rejected. But they will not get very far because as in the case of those men, that's Janus and Jambres, their folly will be clear to everyone. This is God's word. <clears throat> this past week, uh, my doorbell rang, and a person um, was on my front porch. I opened the door, and they greeted me with, well, you must be Randy. Never met this person before in my life, so... Immediately, you know, my shields went up, right? Mr. Scott, raise the shields. Um, I said, yes, uh, and, 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 and I understand that you're a minister as well, Randy. And I said to myself, Mr. Scott, red alert, <laughs> right? <laughs> Well, uh, I've just been across the street talking to your neighbor, and uh, so I thought I'd come over here and uh, meet you. I said, well, how can I help you? And the person said, well, I want to talk to you about cancer. I said, okay. Um, are you from the American Cancer Society? And the person said, no. And then I said, Mr. Scott, arm photon torpedoes. You know, I mean... <laughs> I'm just kidding. I mean, you know, in a Christian sort of way, I told Mr. Scott to, to arm those. But I said, uh, okay, well, um, you, what, what, so, so who are you? And then the person said, um, well, I'd like to come in and talk to you about that. 
Mr. Sulu, fire. No, I didn't say that, but I mean, I, I was just, I was, his hand was on the fire button. You know, I said, uh, well, I'd like for you to hand me a brochure. Do you have a brochure? I'd like, to, I'd like you to give me some information. That's what I'd like. And then I'll take a look at it, and if I'm interested, we'll talk. He says, well, I really don't have, uh, you know, any brochure to give you. I said, well, um, you know, uh, my kingdom, my rules. I mean, that, that's how we do it here. So, uh, and they didn't have uh, anything to give me except their business card. And I said, okay, thank you. And then um, I said, I'll, I'll take a look at your website. And if I have any questions, I'll be in touch with you. And so I went back uh, to uh, the history program over World War II that I was watching. That's what I do in my spare time. It's exciting watching paint dry. That's it. That's what your pastor does on his day off. Um, well, I looked at the card after um, our, our stranger left, and I looked at the card, and, and I got mad. I thought, this, this guy doesn't want to talk about cancer. This guy wants, and, and let me just interrupt. If you are in the door-to-door business, let me just say, uh, no problem with that whatsoever. It's, very, it's honorable, and it takes a lot of hard work, and um, uh, it is a, it's a way of making a living. M- my issue was is this guy wasn't up front with me. This guy was, was, was trying to sell me something and, and, and wanted to try to get into to the house using a pretense of something else. And that just is like, you know, has that ever happened to you? You know, you, you, you just, someone says they want to talk about one thing, but they really don't want to talk about that. They want to talk about something else. That's, you know. Sometimes this happens like at work. Even with the hiring process, right? There's an interview, and there's this one person, and, then, and then, then there's another person that then emerges after the hire is made, a, a person that sometimes tries to, to, to kind of worm their way into maybe influencing or trying to manipulate, and they're just kind of like, like a weasel, and they're, they're just sort of uh, trying to get their way and jockey for position, and, and do you know what I'm talking about? Do you think of anybody, and if you are that person, and repent. I mean, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> oh, they all went to first service, right? I mean, really, yeah. But, uh, but sometimes that happens in a church setting, too. Our vision here at Windsor Road is about being a life-changing community, passionately pursuing Christ. Jesus is the most important person in this congregation, if this is your first Sunday here. Jesus is the subject of this church, Jesus rules, Jesus reigns, Jesus is risen, and Jesus is the object of this church. We serve Jesus, we worship Jesus, we love Jesus, we want to share Jesus. He's the object and he's the subject. He's the beginning and he's the end. He's everything. He's the answer to every question here at Windsor Road Christian Church. Where's the water fountain? Jesus! That's the answer to the question, okay? And so that's, that's what we're about. And I would be absolutely naive if I assumed that every single person who comes into these doors is about that as well. Now, I really believe that all, practically all of us are like wanting to pursue Christ. But I would be a naive shepherd if I 
if I didn't, if I didn't have on my radar the possibility that uh, in this flock of sheep there might be some wolves, okay, who would resist leadership and, and who, who might want to coach some of the sheep to hang out by the grain elevator and then come back and well, that's really what we're looking at here in 2 Timothy chapter 2. The Apostle Paul is really coaching his son in the faith, Timothy, as to how Timothy needs to shepherd some resistors and actually some rascals who've shown up and who are really some troublemakers in the church family. We've seen them and they calls them out by name. And as we look at these verses here this morning, I want us to consider how, you know, what Paul says to Timothy to help him lead through this situation. All right? So uh, as we consider these verses, here's, here's what we're going to do. First of all, we're going to listen. Timothy, here's who the resistors are. Here's who they are. Here's who the rascals are. He's going to name them, name their doctrine, name their lifestyle. Timothy, here's who they are. And then we're going to hear Paul say, Timothy, here's what I want you to do. Here's what absolutely has to be done. And then we're going to hear Paul say, Timothy, here's how I want you to do it. Here's how I want you to do it. So that's where we're going this morning. And, and let me just say, here's why this matters so very much. And just, can I get your eyes up here for just a minute? Um, this is so important, especially if you are in, say, an organization, say, at work, or you work in, in an association. If you're in a group dynamic where there's, say, more than 10 people, the Apostle Paul introduces Timothy to the wonderful world of Positives, negatives, and neutrals. Positives, negatives, and neutrals. All right? Our small group uh, studied 2 Timothy recently, and I picked up this uh, article uh, that's titled Positives, Negatives, and Neutrals. And they're in organizations. And do you know who they are? The positives. The positives are people who do gospel things in gospel ways for gospel reasons. They're trusting, supportive, encouraging. They build bridges. They mediate conflict. They bring organizational help. They work for the good. See, the gospel or the vision matters more than any single cause. And, and, and positives are a blessing because they humbly want the vision of the gospel to win. All right? Can you think of who the, po- the, the positives are in your circle? All right? And hopefully when you come here at Windsor, you sense that the positives are the, you know, the staff and the elders and the, those who, who function as leaders here, all right? The positives. And then there are the negatives, the negatives. The negatives do ungospel things in ungospel ways for ungospel reasons. They're distrusting, unsupportive, discouraging, contentious. They burn bridges. They bring organizational sickness, division, and trouble because they're more interested in, in their cause than the good of the gospel. And they tend to draw other negatives. And they tend to work in pairs, right? Hymenaeus and Philetus, we just read about them. Janus and Jambres, have you read through the book of Nehemiah? Sanballat and Tobiah, see? They like to work in pairs, the negatives. And then there's the neutrals, the neutrals. The neutrals are those followers who are easily influenced. 
and they're prone to being unsure and confused and fearful, and they're often caught in the middle, and so a, a neutral becomes a positive or a negative depending on who their friends are, whom they listen to, what information they have access to, which books they read, and which teachers they look up to. Positives, negatives, and neutrals. And the Apostle Paul introduces us to these three groups in these verses. And so uh, we're just going to kind of walk through. And I want you to be thinking about, you know, who they are here. We're going to name them. But then I want you to be thinking about who they are in your world. And then I want you to think about who are, who are you. So that, that's why this matters. All right? So let's consider first who these negatives are here. Here, who Timothy, here is who they are. Well, Paul names them in verse 17. How would you like to have your name in the Bible? For this reason, their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus who have wandered away from the truth. So sometimes, ungospel people show up with ungospel truths and live ungospel lives and they're worming their way, creeping their way into the life of God's people and, the, and they're just flat out narcissistic nut jobs and they just want to spread cancerous, gangrenous doctrines and live cancerous, gangrenous lifestyles. And Paul identifies him. This is not the first time we see this rascal, Hymenaeus. In fact, if you just flip back a couple of pages to 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 1, uh, verses 19 and 20, the Apostle Paul says, Some have shipwrecked their faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. Now, do you see that phrase, to be taught, handed over to Satan, to be taught not to blaspheme? What's that? That's code for excommunication. That's how serious it was. I mean, it wasn't like he was chewing bubblegum in Sunday school class. He was actively causing division and, uh, and, and, and distorting God's truth and encouraging an ungospel lifestyle, so much so that the Apostle Paul uh, needed to excommunicate him and ban him from the community of God's people. And then he wanted the community of God's people to treat him like an, an, an unbeliever. But yet, here in 2 Timothy... Hymenaeus is still worming his way into the lives of God's people. That's how incorrigible he was. And keep in mind, they didn't, in the city of Ephesus, the, you know, the first Christian church in Ephesus didn't have a 10-acre campus and a worship center that seated 650. They didn't have that back then. They, they, met, they were house churches. It was a house church network. And so, so this guy has just been worming his way. He's trying to find a network of relationships in which he can uh, spread his, his ungodly doctrine. And that's the second uh, feature that's identified. So Paul calls him out by name, Hymenaeus and his deputy Philetus. And then he identifies their ungodly doctrine. Do you see that in, in verse 18? They say that the resurrection has already taken place and they destroy the faith of some. Well, what kind of resurrection is he talking about? 
Well, not the resurrection. He's not talking about the resurrection of Christ. I mean, that is biblical truth. That's orthodox biblical truth. Biblical Christianity teaches that God came in the flesh, in the person of Jesus, and who lived the life that we should have lived and died uh, an ignominious death on a Roman cross. It's a fact of Christ's crucifixion, and it's a fact that he was buried in a, a tomb. And it was a fact that on the third day, by the power of God, Jesus rose from death to life. And it's not this, it was like a, not it was like he was a ghost or a spirit, but it was a bodily resurrection. And over a period of 40 days, witnesses saw this resurrected body walking, talking, uh, preparing a meal, eating, uh, individuals, in pairs, groups 10, 12, 14, and then over 500 at one time saw the risen Lord. My goodness. But it was a bodily resurrection. And Jesus' resurrection was God validating his claim to be the seed of David. That's why in 2 Timothy 2, verse 8, Paul compresses the gospel to this, this compact disc, uh, zip drive statement. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. Why descended from David? Seed of David. Because Jesus was the vindicated Messiah, the risen Christ and what God has promised for his son, God will do to his people. Jesus is the first fruit. One day, you are going to receive a new body. Death does not end matters for God's people. We will receive new bodies and there will be a cosmic renewal. New bodies and a new heaven and a new earth where we will serve and worship God forever and our emperor and king, Jesus, church family, this is our destiny. This is what we live for. The best is yet to come. Amen. Well, these guys have said, nope, the resurrection has already taken place. Really? Really? This is as good as it gets? <laughs> really? If, if this is as good as it gets, I quit. I mean, I went bowling last week with my small group. I pulled two muscles. How does that happen? <laughs> bowling? Bowling. No kidding. Pulled two muscles. I, I, about uh, two months ago, our oldest member here at church, Eleanor, uh, turned 100. Had a birthday party, and I was invited. I came, congratulated with her, had some cake. I said, Eleanor, you're 100 years old. That's amazing. I said, you're twice as old as I am, Eleanor. Twice as old as I am. I'm 50. You're 100. That's just amazing. And she looked at me, and and she smiled and grinned and then said very matter-of-factly, well, Randy, let me just say, the next 50 years for you are going to be much more difficult than the first. <laughs> Thanks, Eleanor. <laughs> Here, have some cake. <laughs> Really? The resurrection is taking place? Why would these guys, why would they say that? Why? Because they're saying, they're saying, oh, that the resurrection is a spiritual resurrection. 
God. It's not a material bodily resurrection. It's a resurrection in the spirit. And, 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 and uh, the, 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 the more spiritually enlightened ones like us have received this spiritual resurrection. And, and, and so you need to kind of dispense with all things material and that includes things like money. So why don't you just give us control of your pocketbook and that way you can be more spiritual. We'll be ha happy to handle that for you. That way you don't have to worry about it. Really? That's really what it was about? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's the point of chapter 3, verse 2. You see, chapter 3, verses 2 through 5, well, well, 2 through 9, it's a description of Hymenaeus and Philetus. People will, will be lovers of themselves. And what does it say after that? Lovers of money. In fact, that entire list in verses 2 through 5 begins and ends with distorted love. Distorted love. Lovers of pleasure, see, begins with distorted love, verse 2, and ends with distorted love. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having, the form, having a form of godliness, so they look good on the outside, but denying its power. Paul tells to Timothy, hey, have nothing to do with them. And, and, and so Hymenaeus and Philetus have been worming their way into the homes of and verse 6 says, weak-willed women. I, I need you to read the phrase vulnerable when you see that, okay? Vulnerable. In other words, in other words these, these guys who probably have pretty charismatic and uh, you know, dominant personalities, are, they're predators, and they're looking for those in the church family who may feel overloaded, you know, you know, by mistakes of the past and baggage, and they're trying to use that for their purposes. And so Paul's being a good shepherd in coaching Timothy that, you, you know, these guys, are just, these guys are just wolves. That's what they are. And they're not going to get very far. And that's the reference to Janus and Jambres. They may be able to fool a few people uh, for a little while, but they're not, it, soon it will be clear that these guys, soon their theological wickedness will be very clear to all. All right? So that's who they are. That's who they are. He names them. He identifies the ungodly doctrine and then identifies really what they're after. Is they're at, they're, it's just all about them. And, and I think it's just important for us to understand the context of these verses here. That said... You know what? I've never had anybody come into my office upset because someone else in this church has been trying to convince them that the resurrection has already happened. Okay? And I'm grateful for that. That's good. But there are other lies that we listen to from the descendants of Hymenaeus. And those lies still circulate our hallways today. They do. Lie number one, you're a hypocrite. Sure, you're serving Jesus, but you don't really mean it, you phony. You might as well give up. That lie is being circulated. And that lie 
needs to be overwhelmed by the truth of God's word. 1 John chapter 3, verse 20. Whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. You see, that's why the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter, three, uh, chapter 4, I don't even judge myself. It is the Lord who judges me. You understand what he's saying there? I've said this before, church family. I'll say it again. I love you so very much, but listen to me. I've heard some people say, you know, um, I know God forgives me. I just need to forgive myself. And my response to that is, no, you don't. Because what God thinks about you is more important than what you think about you. His opinion about you matters more than your opinion about you. And you need to trust that. And stop listening to yourself. Instead, listen to him because he knows. Isn't that what the Apostle John says? That's why Paul says, I don't even judge myself. It doesn't matter what I think about myself. It only matters whether or not God approves of me and in Christ he does, you see. See, the lies need to be overwhelmed by the truth. Lie number two is this. You're a loser. You're a loser. You've ruined your life. You'll never amount to anything for the Lord. You might as well give up. And the answer is the truth of God's word in Isaiah 61. The poor, the brokenhearted, the captives, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. You see, you see, the broken captives, that's all God has to work with anyway. Lie number three, you're small. You're tiny. You're so buried under the debris of our complex and crowded culture, you're never going to make an impact. You might as well give up. And that lie from Hymenaeus needs to be overwhelmed with the truth of God's word. 1 Corinthians 1, 28 and 29. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Lies overcome by the truth of God's word. And these liars have been identified. Their ungodly doctrine has been cited and named and their ungodly lifestyle which makes it all about self you need to see what that is that's who they are and so it's pretty clear isn't it as we think about this next movement here what paul wants timothy to do he wants i want you need to confront these disruptors that's what you need to do and you need to confront them because they're not going to go away and it's so easy in a church setting to, uh, you know, want or, 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 or to give the rascals a buy because, you know, this is a church setting and there needs to be peace and so forth. Well, yeah, but there's not peace because the rascals, they need to be confronted. They're not going to go away on their own. You know, it would be nice for us to think, well, it'll get better. It's not. It would be great for us to think, well, well everything's going to end up going to be, no, it won't. Paul says to Timothy, you, you cannot let these guys, they're, they're wreaking havoc. And, and think about this in the greater context. This is 2 Timothy. Paul's not at a conference. And it's not like he got a text from the church secretary saying, hey, there's a problem here. Uh, how do you want us to deal with it? 
It's, it's, you know, deal with it until I get back. Paul's not coming back. Paul is in a Roman prison. He's about to be executed. Shortly, he's going to be taken three miles outside of Rome, and he's going to have his head whacked off by the maniac Nero. This is his last letter. This is his farewell address to his son Timothy. What would you write in your last letter to your spiritual child in the faith? Well, the apostle Paul, this is on Paul's radar. That's how significant this is. Paul wants Timothy to make sure that he gets this taken care of. When things feel funky, the leader needs to engage because it's not going to get better by itself. Of course, the temptation is, you know, Timothy having been challenged to fan into flame the gift of God and God didn't give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. The, 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 the temptation for Timothy is to, you know, guzzle down a couple of cans of Red Bull and go take on Hymenaeus like Jack Bauer. I need a hacksaw. This is going to be fun. No, Timothy. No, no. You're not Jack Bauer. Okay? And you're not Wyatt Earp. This is not how we handle it, okay? It's not going to be at the okay, there's not going to be any of that corral stuff. See, this is not how we want it done. How you do what you do matters. You do need to confront them. But WWJD doesn't mean what would Jack do? What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? And here's where we learn that God wants his servants, Jesus wants his servants to confront this false teaching and the false lifestyle in a winsome, patient, gracious, gospel-driven, spirit-empowered way in order to protect the church and in order that the predators, get this, might be given the gift of repentance by God himself. That's, that's what, that's... That's, that's the heart of 2 Timothy 2, 24 to 26. And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. You see, Timothy needs to remember who he is. He is God's faithful teacher. That was in the beginning of chapter 2. He is to be God's focused soldier. He's got one person to please and that's Jesus he is to be God's honest athlete he is to be God's hard-working farmer and he is to be God's straight cutting workman that's what that phrase means in 215 who correctly handles the word of truth it means that that work he's a workman he he's cutting a road through a forest and it's to be a straight road as opposed to Hymenaeus and Philetus who are cutting a wandering road, a, 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 a road that's crooked. See, there's a contrast between the two. And Timothy is, it, most importantly, Timothy must remember that he is the Lord's servant. And so he is not to react personally to Hymenaeus and Philetus. He, and how do we know that we're taking things personal? <laughs> well, because if we, if we start feeling resentment, right? He must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Not resentful. Resentfulness means you're taking it personally, Timothy. And Timothy, 
You don't write the mail. You just deliver it. And if they reject the mail, it's not you. It's not you. Don't make this about you, Timothy, because it's not about you. It's about rejecting the Lord. And that's why Paul says, even to, even to an incorrigible uh, a rascal who's already been excommunicated, Paul says to Timothy, be kind to everyone, everyone, everyone. What does that mean in the Greek? I've studied it. It means everyone. That's what it means. Not be kind to those I like. Not be kind to those who share my theological convictions or my faith or my preferences or my political parties or those who are like me. Be kind to everyone. What Paul wants is for Timothy to communicate a better doctrine and demonstrate a better life. That's what he wants. I want you to communicate. You've got to be able to teach. I want you to communicate a better doctrine, and I want you to, I want you to demonstrate a better life. And, and so this is amazing. And so when Timothy does that, Paul wants him to realize then that these heretics are actually, in their wacko way, making him a better leader. Because you see, when a crazy maker comes into your world, it, it makes you think, what do I believe? What do I believe about God, the Bible, Jesus Christ, the resurrection, heaven and hell, uh, the, the, uh, the end times? What do I believe about that, you see? see? These guys are making Timothy work, and that's good. And they're testing Timothy, which means... He's going to actually have to act like Jesus. That's good. In their crazy way, Timothy's going to come out a better leader. That's how Paul wants him to see this. And with the ultimate goal, with the ultimate goal, chapter 2, verse 24 and 25 and 26, those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance. See, that, and, and, and that they will come to their senses. That word means to sober up. Here they have been intoxicated by uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the, the toxic doctrine of Satan. And Timothy wants, the goal is, the goal is not that, to destroy the heretic, but that the heretic might become a believer. Hymenaeus doesn't need to be defeated. He needs to be liberated. He doesn't need to be killed. He needs to be released from his captivity. He doesn't need to be run down. He needs Jesus. And, and that's why Paul says what he says in chapter 2, verses 20 and 21. In a large house, there's articles not only of gold and silver, but wood and clay. Some for noble purposes, some for ignoble. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, he will be an instrument for noble purposes. That's the goal, even for someone like Hymenaeus, you see. The goal is that vessels that are now serving ignoble purposes might, by the grace of God, be transformed so that those vessels be used for noble purposes, you see. The bottom line, church family, is this. When it comes down to our interpersonal relationships in the family of God, we don't fight like non-Christians fight. That's the bottom line. We fight, our weapons are love, grace, compassion, persistence, forgiveness, and a call to repentance and prayer, and an opportunity for salvation. 
Yes, we are at war, but Hymenaeus isn't the enemy. He's a captive. And we don't declare war on captives. We have one enemy. Satan is his name. We shoot at the enemy, not at the captives. And I'll tell you this much. The enemy's already been defeated by the death, burial, and resurrection of our king. Our warrior king has fought the fight. He has fought the good fight. See, he's already won. And that's why I think one of the most encouraging verses to the Bible for me is Revelation chapter 12, verse 12. Satan knows his time is short. We've already won. Communicate better doctrine. Demonstrate. That's how we do it. That's a gospel way. Would you bow your heads? Close your eyes. I want to ask you this question now. Are you a positive? Are you a positive? You've been reading these verses here. You've been looking at them. The mirror of God's word. Do you see yourself? Are you a positive? The word for you is be positive. Remain positive. Gospel things in gospel ways for gospel reasons. Our weapons are love and grace and compassion and forgiveness and truth. Are you a negative? Are you a negative? Maybe not here, but someplace else. Does the room just get deflated when you walk in? Think about the relationships in your life. Here at church, at home, at work. I want to ask you. I want to ask. I don't want to ask you. I don't want to ask you if you'd be willing to repent. I want to ask you if you would be willing to ask God to give you the gift of repentance. To call on Lord. God, give me this gift of repentance because I'm. My will is resistant to you. Lord, please overwhelm me by your grace and mercy and love and break my heart so that the bridges I burn can be built again, so that the relationships that I'm thinking about detonating might be whole. Maybe you're here and maybe you're in neutral. It's time to make a decision. It's so clear to the positives that Jesus is king. The Bible is perfect. God's way is best. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He'll direct your path. Stay in that path. Positive, negative, neutral. Who are you today?